Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name's Grayson. And I'm Joshua. And this is episode number 27, Minding Your Business, Preparing Businesses for Disaster. In this episode, we'll be discussing the vital link between business, disaster, and recovery. Why is it important? How can protection of the economy be worked into a response? And what can be done to support businesses during the recovery phase? To this end, we will be speaking with business recovery guru and professional communicator Scott Crockett about what you can do to maximize the chance of your business surviving the next disaster. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current Relevant Canadian. Well, small businesses certainly play a big role in the Canadian economy. They represent over 98% of all companies and employ 70% of private sector workers. So when businesses are impacted by a disaster, the community impact can really be huge. Yeah, that's right. And these groups are not always the easiest for an emergency manager to engage or even imagine what their capacity or response capability might be. There, there are lots of demands on small business owners, and although groups like the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and local chambers of con- commerce are a good starting point, relationship building can be hard. So let's take some time to discuss how you can incorporate local businesses into your plans, and here to talk about just that is Scott Crockett. Hello, my name is Scott Crockett, and I'm a professional communicator with an expertise particularly in uh, crisis and disaster communications. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today for this epic podcast. We're here today to talk about businesses and their interaction with disasters. Now, I just want to start off with probably the broadest and most general question that I can. You know, what specific uh, impacts do disasters have in an all-hazard sense on businesses? And how do businesses in the local sense interact with the disaster response and recovery? Well, thanks for having me on, Grace, and uh, I think that that's a great place to start with the question. Um, and the reason why I think it's so important is because businesses are really one of the core pillars and backbones of a society, and and we see this take place when disasters happen and a, and a lot of businesses are forced to close. And I've spent the vast majority of my career either running small businesses or supporting small businesses. Uh, I've spent a lot of time uh, through the Chamber of Commerce as well. And uh, one of the things that I've seen is that uh, when a disaster happens, there can be a huge impact on businesses. And, you know, it's on the list as one of the key priorities of emergency management, you know, the, the kind of the fourth priority behind life, safety, critical infrastructure, and the environment to uh, to get the economy back up and running. And oftentimes, um, I think we have fewer tools, less experience, and less research that, that shows us how to go about doing that. Um, but the need is really, really important. Uh, when you look at the largest disasters that have happened, you know, you could take something maybe like Hurricane Katrina, for example. The the scope of the number of uh, businesses that were taken out by that disaster, you know, it's it's obviously a secondary concern to the human impact, but it leads to a really, really lengthy recovery when there isn't an economy that people can come back to and it gets back up and running, where there isn't somewhere that they can go to buy their groceries or to work to make a living. That's why I think it's important. You mentioned that uh, a lot of businesses don't reopen. Are there any metrics around that or or any trends that we know of? Absolutely. So uh, there are some metrics around that, and you heard me hesitate for a moment there. It's because there aren't a lot of them. So one of my uh, key pieces of experience was during Calgary's 2013 floods. 
uh, you know, one of Canada's uh, most expensive natural disasters and, and one that really had a very pronounced business impact uh, because it, ha- it happened to be the Calgary downtown core that flooded. And so in that case, there were about 7,000 businesses that were closed. And immediately following the disaster, those of us who were working on getting those businesses back open again, looked to see if there were any metrics that we could look at uh, around the world in terms of what we should expect for the percentage that would uh, remain closed or never reopen or that sort of thing. And so the, the number that we came up with uh, comes from FEMA, where they estimated that 43% of businesses who are forced to close by a natural disaster never reopen, and that uh, further to that, uh, a large percentage that reopen, maybe in the above 20%, uh, maybe at risk at closing within the next uh, year or 18 months. And so that 43% number is what we've used and what many others have used to as sort of a, a benchmark. In Calgary, through uh, through a number of factors, including some great coordination, uh, that number was actually lowered to only 1% of businesses actually truly failed as a result, a direct result of the disaster, which is a pretty significant delta. And uh, and one of the things that this has led me to think is that uh, there really is uh, there's very few research studies out there, very few examples that have measured the business impact, and other than this one sort of uh, FEMA study that we've quoted and used and many others have as well. 40 to 1% is, is an amazing achievement. How did you manage to support businesses and prevent them from closing or eventually going out of business because of the disaster? Absolutely. The, the 40 to 1% uh, number, you know, expected 40% closure, when we, when we looked at that, we thought, uh, that just can't happen. You know, if, if we had 7,000 businesses that were closed and 40% of them never reopened, that would have a, an impact in the, in the tens of thousands of jobs in Calgary. Yet, uh, and it would have a really long-term, you know, decades-long impact on, on our economy. Uh, in terms of getting it down to that 1% number, there's, there's probably a few precursor statements. That I, two, two things that I have to say off the bat. Um, one is that uh, it required tremendous coordination. I was I was fortunate enough to be a small part of that. Uh, but the, the city government, the emergency management agencies, the business agencies, the governments, the banks, all actually really dug in and said that this was something that they were going to make a priority. And, and the second one has a little bit more to do with Calgary specifically, which is that Calgary had characteristics that increased its resiliency just naturally. You know, it's a, this is a, a well-off city. The, the flood happened to happen during... Uh, a period where Calgary's economy was doing quite well. And so it, it's not lost on me that one of the things that was working in Calgary's favor is the idea that, uh, that there was a fair amount of time and money and resources and resiliency sort of baked into the city already. And then you put some, some good recovery work on top of that, and it, uh, it really pays dividends. But to answer your question specifically, what... Uh, what was done to <laughs> to get those businesses back up and running? Well, one of the really key things was the creation of a business recovery task force. Uh, that was a, a group of around uh, 16 agencies uh, that influenced and impacted business within Calgary. And, and that list that I just mentioned was all represented on it from uh, business organizations, economic development organizations, uh, city government, banks, Red Cross, the works, um, emergency management. And uh, that group really worked together and created a new model, what we call the AME model, Analyze, Mobilize, Energize, to uh, to get businesses back up and running following a disaster. Can you talk a little bit more about that model? Yeah, absolutely. It, 
it's a relatively simple model, in my opinion, uh, but it's gone on to now be used in a variety of other places. Uh, that model has been adopted by the International Chamber of Commerce and, and is now in use in places all over the world. And so it's AME, Analyze, Mobilize, Energize, and it is uh, sort of a roadmap for what to do if you're sitting in a room of uh, emergency managers and people who want to help to say, let's get businesses back up and running. What do we need to do? It starts with uh, analyzing the situation and uh, and the business need in particular. So that means understanding what businesses are affected, what they're facing in terms of their impacts, and what they need that will help them out. And so, you know, in the analyze phase, one of the things that uh, that is really worth considering is many businesses will face one of three different impacts, and those three impacts are inventory, so they could have lost stock. One of the things we see really commonly in almost any any even emergency situation or disaster situation is that inventory gets lost. You know, uh, power outage for even a short period of time and restaurants will lose all of their inventory. So that's one type of loss. Uh, premises is another. If their physical building is damaged, you know, that's very common in a flood and lots of natural disasters. And then the final one, uh, which can be quite widespread, is, is revenue. And uh, many businesses who aren't directly in the path of the disaster will still face a really significant uh, revenue impact. Uh, if they certainly if they face one of the first two losses, but but even if they didn't face either of those, they'll they'll have one of those three. And so really understanding how businesses have been hit in each of those ways, where they've been hit, how significant the the issue is, how many businesses it is, that's kind of the analyzed phase. Uh, Mobilize is about information, resources, and advocacy. Um, one of the things that happens following a disaster that, and and this is true of small business owners, uh, in my general experience with them, is that they uh, they're very self reliant people and they pride themselves on that. And so that, what that means is that when a disaster takes place, they're not uh, used to, they're not accustomed to leaning on others for help, and they often even don't know where to go to get it. So that's one of the areas that we uh, we can provide them information. The uh, the resources is things like uh, insurance or bridge or gap financing, special programs that governments may have. And, and finally, the advocacy piece in terms of uh, mobilization is that it's often the role of the uh, emergency managers or business associations of these groups that come together to uh, advocate up to governments about what these businesses actually need to, to really help them out. And then finally, Energize is about energizing people and the economy to come back and invest in these businesses to to patronize these areas. You know, this is uh, a uh, commonly thought of is a big part of this is uh, like a, a come on in more open sort of a campaign or in Calgary's case, YYC is open. Uh, and many communities want, run these sort of campaigns. You know, we're back in business kind of campaigns, which can be very important. It's also important that those are timed for when uh, the business community actually is, in fact, ready to welcome people back in. So that's a, a bit of a quick overview of the AME model. Thanks for that. And and you said it, but it just struck a chord to me that really recovery isn't uh, well underway until that phrase comes out in the media. You know, Calgary is back open for business or whatever impacted community is back open for business. So you mentioned the advocacy part of it. Uh, Is this just to government agencies and just to the uh, agency having authority over the disaster? Or is there a lot of work between businesses and uh, some extra supports that get found amongst people who were previously competitors. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Uh, yes, absolutely. Advocacy uh, goes well beyond uh, just government advocacy. And so that's, uh, I, you know, I think where 
uh, lots of people's head uh, goes to first, in, including mine, oftentimes, is what's the role of the government going to be in this? And I've spent lots of time doing government advocacy, so I think that's important. But there's a couple other streams as well. Uh, one of them would be media advocacy. So speaking to the media about the, the scope and scale of the disaster, about the resources that are required, the help that could be required, uh, particularly when you get to the phase of being ready to say, hey, we're open for business. The media can be a tremendous ally in getting that story out, particularly media that's beyond your uh, or your own jurisdiction. As it's been my experience that sometimes media from uh, other places in the country or further away can uh, can leave people with the impression that the community is uh, you know a total wasteland and disaster area long after it's well into recovery. So media advocacy is important. And then finally, uh, what you've just brought up, yeah, advocacy between uh, businesses is important. Bringing people together. One of the areas that uh, that I've seen this really take place is uh, it's the role of those who are working on solving this problem, the role of the emergency managers in many cases, to advocate to large businesses who will have an impact on the recovery. These would be like insurance businesses and banks in particular. When we were talking through those uh, those issues, those impacts that hit a business, you know, each of those has a financial implication. And one of the things that really stands out clearly to me is oftentimes falling into that disaster. You've got these, these businesses who are great going concerns. They've been in business for 10 years or longer, sometimes 50 years, sometimes they've money the whole time, but they're in a really tough moment in that they've lost all their inventory, their buildings damaged, and they haven't had a month's worth of revenue. And oftentimes one of the things that they need, uh, you know, almost more than anything else is uh, a working capital loan, a bridge loan to get them over this disaster period. And then they can get back into uh, being a great going concern and a great business. And, and we certainly saw that in Alberta. Uh, you know, many banks were willing to do that. Uh, our friends at ATB really stepped up and said that they wanted to do everything that they could. And I think they've shown they have a history of doing that in disasters. You mentioned the insurance part of it. I know that insurance never covers 100% of the losses, but are these failed businesses um, suffering from the lack of a proper insurance? Or why isn't insurance the answer to businesses surviving these disasters? One of the things that I've certainly experienced relative to insurance is uh, the vast majority of small business owners, the first problem is they don't even know what insurance they have. And I and I'll I'll be I'll put my hand up first and say I've been guilty of this as a small business owner that often you purchase the insurance uh, you know program at the at the very beginning when you open up your business or you open up your building and and then you literally never open it again never look at it again and if uh, if a disaster happens you have no idea what uh, what sort of insurance coverage you might have and what the process to go about making a claim is many businesses you know have never made claims against their insurance so. Uh, one of the, one of the first gaps is knowledge. You know, businesses knowing what their insurance is and and knowing that they have the correct insurance. Uh, following a disaster, one of the really big gaps is, is businesses knowing where to go for uh, for information on their insurance. And actually, in in recent years, I think uh, the Insurance Bureau of Canada (IBC) has has taken some really great strides forward to say that they're going to be part of the solution and really at the table in the immediate recovery periods. And I think that that's really helped. Aside from not knowing uh, what insurance you have or how where to go, are there any other sort of do not do's during the actual disaster response? That's an interesting question in terms of uh, because I often think of it it be framed from the other way. You know, what are the things that really increase your likelihood that you, that you're going to make it back? Uh, I'd say that one of the largest issues and, and simplest issues that businesses face is uh, is that they oftentimes in this with this day and age don't have their 
communications equipment and contact information anywhere other than on site. And uh, and that means that even a, even a fairly modest disaster, a minor one, even you know something that takes the power out of that kind of thing, can sometimes leave them unable to communicate with their uh, staff and customers. And that can have a, a really huge implication quite quickly. It can uh, erode trust with staff, and it can lead customers if they don't hear from you for a few days, they can go somewhere else. And this can be particularly true, you know, in, in service-based businesses, or if you have customers who are outside of the jurisdiction affected by the disaster, they still have work that needs to get done. Uh, and if they can't get in touch with you, they may be led to think, well, I guess the, you know, that business is, is really been taken out by this disaster. I might as well take my business somewhere else. And so, I think. Um, when I've spoken to many businesses, uh, in terms of preparedness, you know, creating a, a business uh, continuity plan or an emergency preparedness plan is key and important. And really, the very first step of that is, is as simple as having a list of your key contacts that you're keeping, you know, probably in a paper form and probably off-site so that you've got a binder you can flip open and let your staff know what to do and let your clients know what's going on. Are there any other factors that make a, a business more resilient? Um, I'm thinking specifically of, of businesses that kind of find a emergent role during the, the response. Um, for example, bed and breakfasts or hotel chains that can integrate themselves into the response. You know, I think that's a great question and a great opportunity for many businesses. Uh, I think a lot of businesses, particularly small businesses, uh, you know, procrastinate when it comes to thinking about their uh, emergency preparedness because there are just a thousand other things to be doing and because it's a negative thought. Uh, but when many, when they go about actually sitting down to think about how they might handle a disaster, what the risks are that are affecting them, I think many discover that there's actually opportunity hidden within those risk factors. And so, yeah, you've, you've brought up an excellent point. Uh, bed and breakfast and, and hotel chains, they, they play really significant roles. Uh, in, in Calgary, we saw construction companies and pumping companies, things like that, really step in very quickly to be part of cleaning up after a really major flood. But it's not even, uh, it's not exclusively true of those those businesses that you think of, you know, maybe immediately that would have an impact uh, following a disaster, like a like a hotel or uh, like a construction company, for example. You know, I've done a lot of work with service-based businesses, and actually those who had given some thought to how they might uh, work following a disaster had maybe put some plans in place to be able to create a secondary offsite office or some some working from home. Those many of those businesses were be able to be back up and running, you know very, very quickly after the disaster hit. And as a result, uh, their business got stronger because they were able to assist people, assist their clients through that uh, recovery period, maybe even grow their market share as, uh, as some of their competitors weren't back up and running. So I think there can be real opportunities for business. Let's flip the script here. And from the point of view of a, an emergency management agency, what can be done to support businesses early during the response and recovery phases? Right. So... I think the the first thing that I would say about that is uh, if to an emergency manager is do consider them a priority and uh, and I see that happening more and more often now I, I know that uh, business recovery is a key priority particularly of the Calgary Emergency Management Agency in Calgary where I live. Um, However, I know that uh, in response and recovery, you know, there can be a lot of attention being paid to the response, and, and rightly so, as it should be. Uh, what I'd suggest is one of the first things to do uh, in the early days is just consider the impact of business or consider the role of the economy as early on as possible. And as emergency managers, ensure that you've got the right people at the table and that you're thinking about this 
very, very early on. And this can mean working with the local economic development organizations, there's a building owners association, there's a chamber of commerce. Bringing those folks to the table relatively early can play a really important role in that response and recovery. Uh, I believe that in uh, seeing that oftentimes those organizations can actually help the response and recovery uh, because businesses have lots of great assets, uh, you know, like construction companies and pumping trucks and uh, trucking in general, those sorts of things that can often play a really significant role in assisting with the recovery. So that's one of the first things that I would do. And uh, and, and the second would be uh, creating some sort of business recovery task force, a group who is dedicated to getting those businesses back up and running, who looks at that 43% number and says, that can't happen in our community. Let's get it as low as we can. Now, you mentioned earlier the International uh, Chamber of Commerce. Is this an organization that um, has some guidance or can actually help during international response? Yes, in, in fact, it can. And there's some, there's some guides and tools available uh, to do that. So, so first, it's, it's worth a, a tiny little tour through the worlds of Chambers of Commerce. I've, I've spent some time working in the field of uh, Chambers of Commerce quite, quite a bit of time. And it was interesting for me to learn that in basically every community everywhere in the world, there is a Chamber of Commerce, which is you know, probably best described as a small business association. And, uh, and that means that whether you're in a, uh, a country that barely has a functioning national government or, uh, or anywhere in northern Canada, there's a really good chance that that community will have some sort of a functioning Chamber of Commerce. In fact, there's about 14,000 of them uh, by the most recent oh, count wow. that I saw all, all over the world. And, uh, and in fact, you know, maybe I'll make a little plug, but if, if you're an emergency manager who's listening to this uh, and, and you don't know the local president of your Chamber of Commerce, uh, I can almost certainly guarantee there is a local Chamber of Commerce and that chamber probably has a president. They might be a volunteer if you're in a small community, and I'd suggest you do get to know them. Um, the International Chamber of Commerce is the global organizing body that uh, that oversees all of these chambers. Uh, you know, they're they're voluntarily organized, so not everyone is affiliated with it. And it's an organization that uh, has sort of an unofficial mission that I really believe in, which is that uh, when good cro- when goods cross borders, uh, soldiers seldom do. And uh, the idea being that uh, if we're trading with each other and commerce is flowing, that it's uh, you know a positive driver for peace. And so the International Chamber of Commerce works with chambers all over the world. When they uh, discovered this AME model uh, that had been used to quite some success in Canada, they uh, asked for some presentations on it, ended up giving it an award uh, in terms of uh, you know holding it up as a great example of how chambers of commerce can play a role in assisting with uh, recovery efforts. And uh, and then put together a task force with global representation, uh, chamber leaders from around the world, to take that AME model uh, and some of the associated learnings, build uh, on them with an additional knowledge base, and provide them as a resource to chambers all over the world. And so, uh, as a result, at the International Chamber of Commerce's website, there is an emergency preparedness response and recovery guide, particularly geared towards businesses, business owners, and uh, and those who work in supportive businesses like business associations uh, that I know for a fact has been used by uh, some other uh, countries and cities to help get their business communities back up and running following a disaster. That sounds like a really good tip for local emergency management agencies is to reach out and contact their local chamber of commerce. Now, Scott, because this is our Emergency Preparedness Week podcast. I'm wondering if you could give us a few top tips and tricks to survive or thrive if if you're a small business owner during disaster. 
Absolutely. Let's talk about some top tips and tricks. So the first tip would be just talk about it. And what I mean by that is if you're a small business owner, uh, you know, maybe there's one of you or a couple of partners, book some time. It can be an hour or 90 minutes to just get started and think about how your business would handle itself if you were faced with a big emergency or a disaster. Uh, keep some paper there with you and sketch out some of your answers to it, and you'll have the beginnings of an emergency preparedness plan. Uh, I've been amazed at what a difference it can make to a business's likelihood of surviving if they're uh, if their business owners have just had some sort of a conversation or some sort of a plan in place, no matter how basic. There are templates that exist for this but uh, to help you through that process. Uh, but in the simplest possible terms, the greatest determinant of, your, of whether you're more likely to succeed is if you have a business continuity plan or emergency preparedness plan, and any plan will do, even if it's sketched on a napkin. I think one of the other tips uh, that I would share with people is something we mentioned a little bit earlier. One of the first areas that many businesses should look at is their contact information. Following almost any kind of business interruption or disaster, one of the first things you're going to want to do is get in touch with your staff and let them know, uh, can they come back into work? Do you expect them to work remotely? What do you want to have happen? And then get in touch with your partners and clients. And I think it'd be interesting for anyone listening to this right now to just think about in their own head, do they have, you know, good at-home contact information, you know, personal contact information for their staff, their clients, and their, their other business partners? And, and do they have access to that from their home if, if their business goes down? And then maybe the, the third tip that I would give is uh, just doing a very straightforward risk assessment. Uh, there are templates that exist for this. One is contained within that emergency preparedness guide that I was sharing before. But this is uh, simply looking at what are the risks that um, that we might face as a business, what are the most likely risks that we could see happening in our community, and then how severe would the impact of that be on our business. And obviously, you have to start to look at the things that are uh, more likely to happen and more severe an impact on you and discuss the sorts of things that you might do about those. And so, uh, you know, if you're looking at a community where it's certainly a possibility that perhaps your downtown might flood and you're, you might not be able to get into your business, well, then you quickly start to think about, well, could we set up our operations remotely? So if we run a printing company, could we make a strategic alliance with a printing company in a nearby town uh, that if we were ever faced with a disaster, if they were ever faced with a disaster, that we could support each other? And oftentimes those sorts of things uh, create great plans in advance, and they can create some great fun uh, relationships as well as you end up reaching out to that other company and, and creating a, a partnership with them. Scott, thank you so much for joining us for this epic podcast on the business's interaction with disaster. Amazing to chat with you as always, and thanks so much for all the work that you did to get Calgary back on its feet and prepare businesses for disaster. Thank you very much. It was epic uh, to be here. I, I love the podcast. I'm <laughs> <laughs> a long-time listener, uh, first-time caller, and uh, I look forward to the chance to do it again sometime. Thank you. All right. Well, that sounds like, a, uh, I think, an excellent overview of um, some of the issues facing small businesses. And I think this is a really important group for emergency managers to keep at the, the fore of their planning efforts. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is about the all of society approach and society is really all about business in a, in a lot of ways. Um, what I really liked was that analyze, energize and mobilize approach. It sort of breaks it down into some really simple steps. And it sounds to me mm-hmm. an awful lot like a HIRA or an HRVA. So it, it really speaks to that same sort of philosophy of disaster management. Sometimes we can uh, make the mistake of thinking of 
uh, you know, businesses always just being the impacted group, they really play an important role in, in response uh, as well. Um, when you think about surge capacity that for most communities, uh, small businesses and, and medium-sized businesses contain a huge amount of, of surge capacity. And having these response uh, entities uh, having a, you know, a close relationship with you and, and able to function in your EO, EOC is, is just so important. Yeah, I think that's actually a good segue into our journal club for today. And the uh, piece that I'd like to talk about, it's called The Role of Business in Disaster Response. Shockingly, really good title for this podcast. Uh, it is by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the Business Civic Leadership Center. Um, and what I like about this particular article is, you know, sure, it goes over some preparedness issues and, and some good approaches to um, disaster management, but it is all example-based. So if you're like me and you sometimes have difficulty imagining what businesses can bring to the table during disaster, this is a really good place to start. Uh, For example, it talks about um, IBM's contribution to data analysis and and collection during uh, disasters in in Japan recently. Uh, It talks about Google's role in multiple disasters in terms of uh, bringing a lot of that information um, display and analysis uh, to the table. And even some maybe less predictable businesses like Caterpillar, which had a huge uh, role in in donating resources and money and and time to um, the response in Haiti. So, you know these these organizations are very very active in disaster response. Some other obvious examples are, are things like WestJet or UPS or a- any company that moves things from A to B. Uh, they're going to be used in disaster. Anyways, you might as well bring them to the table. So if you're looking for examples, uh, I really do recommend reading this. Again, it's called The Role of Business in Disaster Response um, through the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the Business Civic Leadership Center. Fantastic. I know I was at a conference a few years ago and uh, got to learn about the supply chain management of Home Depot and how they, you know, forward stage all of their stores and, and supplies before hurricanes and uh, just some of their engagement with local emergency planners was really interesting and, and when it comes to expertise in supply chain and uh, logistics uh, I mean it's that is in the private sector they've got some uh, some really impressive um, uh, systems in place and really uh, uh, surprisingly resilient and, and redundant as well mm-hmm. so what do you have for the tool of the trade yeah, so uh, I'm I'm going to steal shamelessly from uh, Scott. Uh, I'm going to use the the tool that the International Chamber of Commerce provides. Um, it's their Emergency Preparedness Response and Recovery Guide, and the you know the big part of this is that AME tool, the Analyze, Mobilize, Energize tool. It really breaks it down into its segments. Uh, there's lots of great tools in there, but the thing that I took away most with it was a really interesting quote. Uh, So it starts off, you know, a number of things are critical in response for an emergency or disaster response. Uh, Timely, accurate information flow, a place to provide information on a more long-term recovery issues, uh, a gathering place, financial assistance and leniency, and an ability to share experiences in order to grieve. I wasn't expecting that last piece in a basically a business continuity perspective and the International Chamber of Commerce, but it really does humanize that that business community and it, it really is just a collection of people who need some space to, to bring their problems to light and get help. 
So the ICC, that International Chamber of Commerce, their Emergency Preparedness, Response, and Recovery Guide. All right. Well, just before we go, I'd like to take a moment to mention the Alberta Podcast Network, which Epic is a part of. The APN is a community of talented and creative podcasters who work tirelessly to bring you great content, and the network helps to support them in doing just that. You should absolutely check out some of our sister podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. We should also mention that the Alberta Podcast Network is powered by ATB, uh, and ATB knows that being an entrepreneur and business owner has its challenges, including finding time to get the help you need. That's why they've created their entrepreneur centers, which are now coming to a community near you. Uh, They have new pop applications each month, and ATB is bringing their 360-degree entrepreneur support services to you. So whether you're dreaming, building, or growing, you can access a powerful set of tools to help your business and personal finances grow together. You should visit atbentrepreneurcenter.com to find out more. And that's all for this episode of Epic Podcast. A big thanks to Scott Crockett for sharing his time and expertise with us on this topic of businesses in disaster. If you'd like to find out more or get in touch, you can email us at team at epicpodcast.ca or send us a tweet to username epic underscore underscore podcast or visit the website at epicpodcast.ca. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an Epic Podcast production, a proud partner of the International Association of Emergency Managers Canada and member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional on the go, and the views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may be a part of. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter at the username epic underscore underscore podcast. Stay tuned for more on the next episode of Epic Podcast, current, relevant, Canadian.